0: Welcome to Dark Poutine, I'm Mike Brown, creator and host with me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott.
1: Happy day to you.
0: Happy day to everybody. We might get some thunder
1: tonight, Mike. Oh. That's what I'm hearing.
0: I like thunder, but it I doesn't thunder it. enough here. In
1: That's British what California. I always say. Yeah. yeah. I really, really, really love a good thunderstorm. Yeah,
0: because it clears the air and it smells cool. And it's just, it's just the neat experience. Yeah but yeah. the sky's yelling at us. Boo-hoo. Yeah. We get just rain.
1: I know. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, our climate is so constant. <laughs> boo
0: The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Some listeners will find our content intense. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadian schmoes chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your duke. Grab yourself a double-double and an animo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Drow, drow, Listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the Crisis Text Line in Canada by texting HOME to 686868. In the U.S. or U.K., text seven four one seven four one. The service will match you with a volunteer counsellor who is supervised by a licensed, trained mental health professional. Crisis Text Line is free 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. So before we get going, oh. I kind of want to do a little something different oh, today. Oh, okay. Oh, just a little
1: different. I'm uh, throwing call it. Calling an audible.
0: Uh, yeah. Okay. I guess that's what it would be. Call an audible. Yeah. I don't know. It's a football reference. So what we're gonna do? We are going to play a promo for a new podcast by <gasps> a friend of ours, Leroy, Leroy Luna. Luna. Yeah. Sweet. It's called Excuse Me. That's illegal. <laughs> So let's listen to Leroy tell you about his new show. Yes, please.
2: Hi, I'm Leroy. No, that's not him. Here he is. Oh, hey there. You like true crime stories, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. Who doesn't? But I got to admit, after a while, all those stories of murder and heartache, well, they tend to go straight to my hips. So that's why I, Leroy Luna, have created a podcast called Excuse Me, That's Illegal, where we'll take a hardcore look at some softcore crimes. No TED Talks on Bundy here. The letters BTK won't be coming from these lips, Unless he had a brother that used to steal library books. Suppose I'd be willing to go balls deep into that one if that were the case. Anyways, you'll hear stories such as the Mad Pooper, a female jogger who wreaked havoc in a Colorado Springs neighborhood, using one family's front yard as her own personal dumping grounds. If this kind of content sounds like it's up your alley, excuse me, that's illegal. Is available right now on all your favorite podcatchers. So come join me. I'll be right here waiting for
1: you. You had me at poop. <laughs> you had me wow. at poop. That's up my alley. Yeah, right? <laughs> get a double on. Oh
0: yeah. <laughs> oh I, that's fantastic. Yeah, so there you go. Leroy. Excuse me. That's illegal. You got a banger there. Let's get on with the show. On a chilly, cloudy winter night in early 2005, at a gas station in Maple Ridge, British Columbia, a 24-year-old gas station attendant named Grant DePay was brutally murdered by a callous young man over just $12 worth of gas. This is episode 142, The Murder of Grant DePay. You remember this one. I do. Yes, yeah. I do.
1: Yeah. Another local big news story. Yeah and we'll we'll
0: get into some uh, really gruesome details. It is uh, yeah. quite upsetting what we have to talk about in this one. So and,
1: and just sad. Yeah. It's very sad. Yeah. I mean not that any of the other deaths are not sad.
0: Right. They, but, every death is sad. Yeah,
1: but I don't know this one, it yeah.
0: So the brutal crime we're talking about in this episode is just one of two violent events that helped Carol and me decide to move away from Maple Ridge.
1: Oh, you were there at this point, eh? Yeah. yeah.
0: The first event was the death of a child in December of 2004, just two days after Christmas. It was big news when three Rottweilers ranging in weights from between 70 and 95 pounds killed 37-pound three-year-old Cody John Anger.
1: Okay, I remember that too.
0: The little boy did not have a chance, and according to a Globe and Mail article, little Cody, quote, received multiple puncture wounds all over his body, his jugular veins were severed, and his windpipe torn. The toddler was mauled so severely that even medical staff needed trauma counseling after the child's body was brought to the hospital. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's really horrendous. And at a later inquest, UBC professor Stanley Corin, a world-renowned dog behavioral expert, testified. And according to the same Globe and Mail article, he told the jury, quote, A Rottweiler has a bite strength of 2,000 pounds per square inch. Holy shit. Right? That is a pretty tough bite. Like, that's close to alligator, I think. Yeah, there's
1: nothing on a human body that that really couldn't break or crush. Right.
0: The article continues. Professor Corin, who has written nine books on the relationship between dogs and humans, said Rottweilers are not recommended for family with kids. The sheer size of the dogs, originally bred to guard butcher's carts while the owners were delivering meat, means that even bumping or stepping on a toddler could cause serious injuries. So these are big dogs. Yes. And the fact that they're bred to guard a butcher's cart?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't... um... Oh, I'm not a breed. Like, I don't think any specific breed is more violent than the no. other. It's all in how they're raised. Yep. But we we'll the, the, the size though, for sure. My uh, boss on my last show, Gina, she has a I and she would bring it in. Yeah. It, he was just this. Some of sw- them are pussycats. Just this, just this big, uh, every time somebody, a stranger would walk, would,
0: but uh, just, oh. So Professor Corn couldn't pin down the reason for the dog's attack on the toddler, but noted that the boy must have played in a way that excited them. He mentioned the number of dogs in the house and that a few were not familiar with the boy. So it was somebody else's dogs. Mm-hmm. Corn did feel that banning the breed would not prevent future attacks. But as Scott mentioned, the education of dog owners certainly would. Mm-hmm. And the inquest did not recommend criminal charges in Cody's death, but recommended the Ministry of Health and the B.C. SPCA set up a registry to note all severe dog bites. The dogs oh. were destroyed after the attack.
1: Yeah, which is tragic because in many regards, I don't blame the dogs, I blame the owners. Yeah. But um, I didn't know that there was a registry for... For dog
0: bites, I wasn't aware of that. But either. I
1: mean, it makes sense if there's Just a because it's been recommended, though,
0: yeah. doesn't mean it was ever set up. Oh, yeah, that's true. The Globe and Mail article also noted, "Quote: After the attack, the Ministry of Children and Family Development stepped in and put Ms. Fontaine, little Cody's mum, okay, put her other three children into foster care. Since her son's death, Ms. Fontaine." said her main priority has been to regain custody of their remaining children. But the reason that I'm talking about this is because Carol and I lived in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It happened just three blocks from our townhouse. Three blocks? Three blocks. Holy we had to drive by this house as we went for groceries or to the West Coast Express to work five yeah. days a week. Like yeah. over and over and over again, we had to drive past this depressing oh, scene. Oh God. Knowing what had happened there. Yeah. It was boarded up for a time. Um, it was just not a nice feeling to yeah. think that, oh my God, we live in this neighborhood.
1: It, it can be hard to move past something mm-hmm. and put it, put it behind you when you're faced with it daily.
0: Yeah. It was really sad, like knowing that a, a little innocent yes. boy died there. Yes. And we began thinking about moving at that point. Yeah. But it was the main story in this episode, among some other factors, that helped us tip over the edge and put a for sale sign on our place. hmm It was after this particular story that we're going to talk about. People surely must be thinking, well, you live in Surrey now. Bad things happen there. Uh, Sure, they do. But nothing like these two things that I've ever heard of. Not yet, anyway. Yeah,
1: I mean, no matter where you live.
0: Bad things happen. Bad
1: things are going to happen. Some areas have a higher crime, as we know from <laughs> here in about places like Thunder Bay and whatnot. Some places have a, a much higher rate of crime, but there's crime everywhere. Mm. You can't move somewhere to avoid it cause it will happen. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, yeah, where we live now, it was the butt of jokes for a long time, but I've been here for 12 years, 13 years. And, uh, I've, there have been some, you know, violent crimes that have happened, Breaking. but yeah, I don't feel, I've never felt not safe.
2: Yeah.
0: So, in March of 2005, Darnell Darcy Pratt was 16 years old. Darnell was of indigenous heritage and had grown up in a troubled home. He had never met his father. He'd lived in Maple Ridge since he was two. He had one older brother and one younger brother. His maternal grandmother, aunts, and their family live in the area. When Darnell was 12, he was removed from his mother's care by the Mm. Ministry of Children and Family Development. His mother, they said, was neglecting her children due to a crystal methamphetamine addiction. Darnell bounced around among a few local foster families and his natural family, living for a time with his aunt and most recently his grandmother. Darnell didn't like structure or being told what to do. He struggled in school and dropped out in the spring of 2004 before he finished grade 9. So that's pretty early. It's very early. Darnell began drinking liquor on weekends and after his 16th birthday in November 2004, often drinking daily with friends. He gravitated toward companions his age or a little older in similar situations with like contempt for the adults in their lives who are cramping their style. In November 2004, Darnell called his estranged father in Saskatchewan. They planned a Christmas meeting. Finally, he's going to meet this guy. Mm. But his father couldn't afford the trip to B.C. due to a recent job loss, so he didn't get to meet him that Christmas. In January 2005, Darnell left his aunt's home because she had grounded him for getting drunk. He resented that she grounded him for his poor behavior, and some of it was criminal. Darnell was convicted of mischief he committed on October 24, 2004, for mm-hmm. which he was sentenced to nine months probation in order to pay compensation for breaking windows at Albion Elementary School. He moved into his grandmother's house, continued drinking frequently and to excess, and committed with others various thefts, including the theft of cars.
1: So, I mean, nothing too, too extreme yet, but definitely at the age of 16 and leading up to it. He's not
0: trending well.
1: Exactly. Things are not moving in the right direction.
0: On February 10th, 2005, Darnell had stolen a car and was convicted for that. He had yet to be sentenced for his crime. On Monday, March 7, 2005, Darnell spent the afternoon in Maple Ridge drinking stolen beer with his pals as they walked around the city and hung out in the parks there. I have definitely done all mm-hmm. of those things. Mm-hmm. Darnell later said that he drank around 20 beers throughout the afternoon and early evening. That's a that, lot of beer. That almost sounds impossible. No, it's doable. <laughs> wow. Yeah. How would you know? I just know. <laughs> the more the youngsters drank, the rowdier they became. They were so out of control that a TransLink bus driver feared for his safety and that of his passengers and refused the group's service and kicked him off this bus.
1: I think we've all been on a bus at some point in our lives where... That's happened. Yeah. There's some drunken shenanigans with the youth going on that oh, you don't feel We were on the
0: SkyTrain that one time and that drunk guy kept kicking my chair. Remember oh, that? yes. And yes, I turned around and yes. I told him that he was going to pull back a stump and he stopped.
1: Yeah. And then I think he got off at Metro Town or something. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was, there, there was that sense. like I remember feeling like, Something's gonna okay, are we going to have to defend ourselves? No, any I, I would
0: have been just fine. Between 9.30 and 10.30 that night, the group showed up at the home of their friend Lisa. And I'm using first names of people in this because they're all young offenders. Yep, okay. Uh, so anybody who was involved in this or may not have been convicted of anything, I don't want to use their full name yep. because they don't need to be attached yep. to this yep. this many years later. Yeah, fair enough. Darnell told the others that he wanted to steal a car that night. After chatting with his pals, Darnell left the residence with his friends Derek and Megan and went looking for a target. Megan kept watch as Darnell and Derek broke into several cars and stole various items from them. Megan was frightened off by a citizen who approached her about the break-ins. So, Mm -hmm. their lookout is gone. Darnell and Derek carried on with their little crime spree. Darnell specifically was obsessed with finding a car to steal. It didn't matter to him that he was drunk and didn't have his driver's license. They were going to have some fun. Oh, God. Darnell spotted a Chrysler LeBaron and decided that this was going to be their ride. It's a pretty poor choice of cars. See
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly what I was thinking.
0: He broke into the car, used a screwdriver to punch out the ignition, and started it. So Pro- maybe that's probably, why.
1: Yeah, there was a... a... A lot of Chryslers back then, I don't, don't ask how I know, but a lot of Chryslers back then, it was very easy with just the screwdriver and motor, yeah. the, uh, yeah.
0: So Darnell drove the vehicle with Derek in the passenger seat. Darnell cursed when he noticed the car was almost at a gas. The pair did not intend to pay for gas as they had no money and were driving a stolen car.
1: I don't have, I don't get the impression they're prepared to pay for anything. Right. Stealing a car. I mean, like.
0: Yeah. This was not Darnell's first rodeo. He had done a a gas and dash before, so that's what he decided that they should do this time. They pulled into a Shell gas station in Maple Ridge, but Darnell and Derek could not open the LeBaron's locked gas cap. They got out, they tried, and after fiddling with it for a while, they left the gas station without refueling. Mm -hmm. So it's like... What, what, who are these two guys yeah, out Yeah, you,
1: you're, you're going to notice that if you're yeah. the attendant. Like, okay, then, mm-hmm. okay, this is weird.
0: Still in need of gas, up the road, the two men pulled into the SO gas station at 248 and Dudney Trunk Road. At night, this is a relatively deserted area with tree stands on the northwest and southwest mm-hmm. corners. A trade center that's closed at night sits across Dudney Trunk from the station. So it's it's remote. There's yeah. a few... Uh, residences down 248, uh, just behind the gas station, but no one there would know that something is going on at yeah. the gas station that's right there because yeah. it's separated by a laneway and it's far enough away. It's
1: a, it's a pretty desolate area.
0: Well, I wouldn't call it desolate, well, I, but would, I would call it...
1: I, de- maybe I should have said desperate.
0: I wouldn't call it that either, but whatever. The only person around was Grant DePaty, and he was the lone attendant working at the Esso mm-hmm. station. Darnell and Derek used a tool that they had with them and pried off the gas cap at LeBaron. Derek began to pump the gas. Grant thought that the body language of the two and their activity at the gas cap seemed suspicious, so he went outside, hoping perhaps to thwart a gas and go.
1: Yeah, I mean, just the fact that there's two people pumping gas. would, like, For me, if I'm working there, I'm like, why are there two people? And they're mucking
0: around with yeah. their, at the gas.
1: It would yeah. definitely, definitely create suspicion.
0: Grant walked up to them and chatted with Darnell and Derek, who continued to act suspiciously. One of the men saw Grant peek inside the driver's side window where he was sure to have noticed the punched ignition. Grant wrote the license plate number down and began to walk away. One of the two young men said to the other, he's gonna go call the police. $12.30 worth of gas had been pumped into the car at this point. Already on probation... And fearing further consequences, Darnell hopped into the driver's seat, Mm -hmm. started the car, and jammed it into gear, accelerating away from the gas pump quickly, leaving Derek standing there outside the vehicle. Grant Tepaty was in the path of the LeBaron as it accelerated toward the street.
2: Oh, shit.
0: The front right side of the LeBaron struck Grant and knocked him to the ground. The car ran him over, and the young man was caught in the undercarriage of the vehicle. Darnell was aware that he had struck someone, but continued to accelerate away, dragging Grant Dupaty with him.
1: Oh my God.
0: From court documents, Derek ran after the fleeing car on foot, but Darnell Pratt did not stop for him. He drove eastbound along Doodny Trunk along paved, two-lane, divided highways with no apparent destination. It was dark, and the traffic was very light. Oh, my God. At one point, he was observed to drive through a stop sign at a high rate of speed. At another point, he was observed to make a seemingly inexplicable veer on a straight stretch of road. He was seen traveling at an estimated speed of 80 to 90 kilometers per hour in a 30-kilometer-per-hour zone. So the only reason he would be veering... on a straight stretch, is to get rid of something that maybe is stuck under his car. That is our assessment of the situation. Continuing with the quote, for 7.5 kilometers, he drove while dragging Mr. DePaty along the road beneath him. When Grant DePaty's lifeless and severely abraded naked body came free of the LeBaron's undercarriage at the 7.5 kilometer mark, Mr. Pratt... Continued his circuitous route, driving, leaving Grant to Patey's body on the road to be found by others shortly after that.
1: Holy shit, 7.5 kilometers. Mm-hmm. I wasn't aware. Holy shit. I can't fathom that. 7.5 goddamn kilometers. Mm-hmm. Knowing
0: you've got somebody You've got
1: a, yeah. a human lodged under your vehicle. Oh.
0: Darnell Pratt drove a few kilometers further before dumping the car and returning to Lisa's house nearby, so he just came back the way he had been. And when Darnell came into the house, he was visibly upset. His friends asked what was wrong, and he told them that he thought he had hit and killed someone. Three more friends arrived at Lisa's house with a truck stolen from their friend Tanya's father. Jesus
1: Christ, what a bunch of fucker.
0: Pretty messed up. They asked Darnell to join them on a joyride to Hope, and he agreed. While Darnell was in the rear of the truck with Tanya, he started talking more about what had happened that night. Tanya later told police that Darnell confessed to her that he had killed a person and thought he might, quote, get life for it. Darnell admitted that it happened when he and Derek went for gas and that after running the man over, he knew he was stuck underneath. Darnell had heard screaming under the car for some time as he drove. He said the screaming had eventually stopped.
1: Oh, my God. That's the scariest part. You hope, oh, maybe when he got hit, he was knocked unconscious or something. But knowing Mm. that he was alive, enduring, horrific pain, and this piece of shit just kept driving.
0: When the foursome arrived in Hope they unsuccessfully tried to use Tanya's father's credit card for gas. And one of the four, a young man named Kevin, stayed in Hope, and the others drove back to Maple Ridge. I presume they were just driving him home or something um, yeah. like that. Something like that. En route, Darnell shared in the driving duties. So on the route back home, <laughs> this guy who's already killed somebody that night drunk. is drunk and is drunk is driving another stolen vehicle.
1: Oh, my God.
0: When they got back to Maple Ridge at about 6 a.m., they passed the area near where Grant's body had dislodged from under the LeBaron. They saw police vehicles and lights and avoided the scene. So they knew that police had discovered what had happened.
1: I'm in shock.
0: The group dumped the truck near Tanya's father's house and they all went their separate ways. Darnell went home to bed. Later that same day, when Darnell was reporting to his probation officer, he was arrested. Concerning the homicide of Grant DePaty, it had been easy for police to identify him from security footage. Oh,
1: my God. This is one where I have immediate rage, and in my head, you're hoping, oh, good, maybe he fights the police and they shoot him.
0: That didn't happen. I know.
1: That's what, because he just... No, he was just
0: peacefully taken into custody at his probation officer's
1: Which is how it should be done. That's the right way. But the emotion in me says... I just wish somebody put some lead in his brain.
0: And we'll take a break right here. And we're back. So what are your thoughts so far, Scott? I think you got into not, it a little bit before uh, the yeah, break.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm not so pleased.
0: You're not so pleased with no. uh, Darnell Pratt? Darnell. No. this just. So remember, this young man is a young 16 man, years old.
1: And, and he's intoxicated. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, I absolutely get it. And this is why I'm not a judge. Yeah. And um, I'm not
0: making excuses for him.
1: But they are factors, yeah. they are real. Yeah. His brain at 16 still doesn't have the experiences needed to un- fully understand the consequences.
0: Right. Um, It's and, why 16 year olds can't drink.
1: Yes. Exactly, yeah. which is what he was also doing. So you add those things together, your your judgment and processing. You're just focused on the right here and now and escaping. I can accept that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I can't. I can't. I'm not okay with it. Right. I, I don't still, want to condone it. I still want. I, I'm thinking if that was my kid being dragged under a car for seven kilometers, alive for a good chunk of it and screaming, Mm -hmm. I would want to rip that person's head off no matter their age.
0: And I'm sure uh, Grant's dad, Doug Dupaty, did. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure uh, some of the rage that I I read in some of the interviews with him was quite palpable. Yeah, Yeah,
1: and I can understand it.
0: From court documents, quote, Shortly after Mr. DePaty's body had been abandoned on the road, it was discovered by two people passing by in a motor vehicle. Grant's body was unclothed except for the remnants caught around his ankles. The license plate number of the LeBaron was found in his pants pocket. Mm. The body of Mr. DePaty was in a state one might expect given the circumstances... And here, the judge says, I sincerely regret that I must repeat them for the purposes of this sentencing hearing. Mr. DePaty had sustained skin abrasions to the bone. The bones of his face, ribs, right leg, and chest were exposed. His right lung had collapsed. The central vein in his arm was torn. His liver was torn. His small bowel was extruded. There were tears and lacerations to his head. His pelvis was fractured. His brainstem was intact forensic pathological findings supported the conclusion that Mr. DePaty did not die from being struck by the car, but rather the injuries he sustained as he was dragged alive under the vehicle.
1: Oh my God.
0: The only other time we've talked about anything similar to this was with the happy face killer. He did that on purpose yeah. to hide one of his crimes. Yeah. Uh, this, it's horrendous. Initially charged with second degree murder, Darnell Darcy Pratt pleaded guilty to manslaughter in Grant DePaty's horrible death. From accused.ca, quote, any culpable homicide that does not meet the definition of murder is said to be manslaughter. Culpable homicide is defined to include when a person causes the death of another human being, A, by means of an unlawful act, B, by criminal negligence, C, by causing that human being by threats or fear of violence or by deception to do anything that causes his or her death, or D, by willfully frightening that human being in the case of a child or sick person. So maybe give them a heart attack or something. Manslaughter is reserved for killings where the level of intent is less than murder, Particularly speaking, manslaughter is when someone is doing something wrong and someone ends up dead as a result of it. And the offender did not intend to kill or cause significant bodily harm that he knew may result in death. End quote. But that and is where it sticks in my craw. Did he not intend to kill this person by driving around with him? Did he not realize that that yeah. person was going to die?
1: I think that's the the crux of it, because when he struck him, do I think he intended to kill him?
0: No. Mm-hmm. Did he formulate uh, the intent to kill this person as he was driving and this poor man was screaming underneath his car?
1: I don't know where it gets defined. Like, the impact with the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Not he wasn't trying to kill him. I I'm hypothesizing, but he wasn't trying to kill him. But so, so if that he kills t-
0: him, if that say he hits him, drives a little way, stops when he realizes somebody's under the under the well, car. Uh, uh, yeah. To me, that's manslaughter. Oh no, I'm this a, isn't. Uh, this does not look like. Well, manslaughter and that's that's
1: why I'm struggling as well because, because of the If it was just the hit, and that's why I'm saying, like, if it, when he hit him. He did not intend and wasn't trying to kill him, but he continued right. to drive for 7.5 kilometers. This is my issue with knowing, this. Knowing, yeah. so the intent of the crime wasn't to kill him, mm-hmm. but he had ample opportunity right. to try to rectify that.
0: Yeah, he could have stopped. It's rare for someone convicted of manslaughter. Okay. So according to the criminal code, every person who commits manslaughter is guilty of an indictable offense and liable, A, where a firearm is used in the commission of the the offense to imprisonment for life and a minimum punishment of imprisonment for a term of four years. And B, in any other case, to imprisonment for life. So Hmm. there's no minimum in this case. So the judge could say, you've done your time. He could. Yeah. But that's not what's going to happen. It's rare for someone convicted of manslaughter in Canada to receive life, but it is possible. So the Crown sought a stiff penalty for the killer, at least 10 years in jail. They wanted. At sentencing, the Crown submitted that, quote, The circumstances of the manslaughter are extraordinarily aggravated it describes Mr. DePaty's death as horrific Mm -hmm. because Mr. DePaty did not die instantaneously. And this is the problem I have with this.
1: Exactly, same.
0: After Darnell knowingly struck Grant DePaty with a stolen car, he had dragged the innocent man around the streets of the city until he died. After leaving Grant's body in the street, he'd gone out with friends to continue partying in another stolen car.
1: Yep, so not really showing... Any remorse at all.
0: Not at this point. The Crown said that, quote, the focus in this sentencing ought to be on the principles of retribution, denunciation, and deterrence. The Crown concedes that the youthfulness of Mr. Pratt requires that rehabilitation be considered, but says that it should not be the paramount sentencing principle in this case. End quote. And they argued that Darnell knew what he was doing uh, was wrong, and mostly he did it to avoid the consequences.
1: Yeah, absolutely. For so sure. how uh,
0: in the United States, I think this would be a, it's a so, murder for sure.
1: It's so difficult uh, to assess what is, Fair and right here because, um, you know, I've, I've mentioned it before. It's why they say you don't let victims make laws when yeah. you have an emotional investment in it. You are not thinking rationally. Right. If it was one of my kids, I would want them chopped up, uh, beheaded in a in a guillotine. One of your kids, or if, if that was one of my kids who was killed. Oh, okay. I I would w- yeah. No, <laughs> if <laughs> my kid committed a crime, chop your head off. Oh, yeah. I, I I if it was my kid who was who was murdered. I would want
0: their heads chopped off. That person diced into little tiny. It, exactly. Teams. Yeah. Uh
1: But that's be. But then, if I take away my emotion, I'm like, no, I've got to be rational. And yes, this person was youth, this and that, and there we still need to provide opportunity. So, uh, I'm right now very yeah, emotional. I know. I, right now, I'm very emotional, and I want him slowly killed. But that's the emotion.
0: So Darnell's defense team pointed out. His youth again, his yeah. drunkenness, yep. and his now remorse okay. as mitigating right. factors. But remorse is something, right? Like, who's he crying for? Well, Is he crying because I have now been caught and I am facing a long time in jail? Or is he crying because... I do actually really feel badly about what I've done with a- my and life into somebody else. That's
1: the key. Is where is it rooted? Right. Is it rooted in selfishness? Oh shit, I've screwed my life up. My life is it's over. It's easy to say I'm all the right words. Ja- yeah. But is it it's not easy to be contrite. Do you or is it
0: a matter of what have I done? Hmm. I took a human's life. Right. So from court documents Quote, the defense submits that on the culpability spectrum from quote, near accident at the low end to quote, near murder at the high end, this case falls near the middle.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: In particular, the defense says that Mr. Pratt was extremely disappointed that when his father had to cancel their first meeting, the defense describes Mr. Pratt's life as a quote, downhill spiral after his 16th birthday in November of 2004. Mr. Pratt was not attending school. He was drinking heavily, associating with a bad group of friends, and committing petty crimes. He had little adult uh, supervision. The defense points out Mr. Pratt's aboriginal status and the supportive community he derives from it, but concedes that it will have little bearing on the sentencing of an offender who has committed a serious violent crime. The defense submits, Mr. Pratt is a good candidate for rehabilitation. He has performed well, While in pre-sentence youth detention, because it's in his favor to do so, yes, I would say yes. And this is the defense speaking. This,
1: yeah, these are his lawyers, right? Of course, they're going. Yeah,
0: the defense also claimed that Pratt was believed to have had fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, according to the Canadian Association for Mental Health. Quote: When a woman consumes alcohol while pregnant, her fetus is exposed directly to alcohol through her bloodstream. Alcohol can interfere with the growth and development of all fetal body systems. However, the developing central nervous system, the brain and the spinal cord, is especially vulnerable to the damaging effects of alcohol. These effects, which can vary from mild to severe, may include physical, mental, behavioral, and or learning disabilities with lifelong implications. There is no cure, but early and appropriate supports and make a positive impact and improve outcomes for individuals with FASD. And so some symptoms of that, typical brain-based preliminary disabilities of FASD include inconsistent memory or recall, inability to filter out environmental or emotional distractions and sensory stimuli, slow and inconsistent cognitive and auditory processing, decreased mental stamina, Difficulty interpreting and applying abstract concepts, for example, managing money and time. Impulsivity and poor judgment. Inability to predict outcomes of their own or others' actions. Difficulty shifting from one context to another. And resistance to change. Inability to see another person's perspective. And inability to recognize indirect social cues. Interestingly, I didn't find anything to point out that this person had been diagnosed, diagnosed with, that with that prior to this. And I'm not saying that he wasn't, but yeah. I just could not find that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Portions of the Honorable Mr. Justice Bernard's final sentencing of Darcy, uh, Darnell Darcy Pratt read as follows. Quote, Mr. Pratt, it will be evident to you from all that I have said that I regard your crime as particularly egregious. It is the sort of crime which, for which denunciation, retribution, and deterrence must be the paramount sentencing objectives. Whatever the duration of your jail sentence, when you finish serving it, you will be, still be a very young man with a long life ahead of you, full opportunities, full of opportunities and potential. Mr. Tapati will still be dead; hmm. all of his opportunities and potential have been forever foreclosed. Yeah. I find that a fit sentence for you is nine years imprisonment. Your sentence will be reduced by 21 months in recognition of the time you have already served in pre-sentence custody and the lack of remission earned during that period. End quote. So the judge also imposed a 10-year driving ban and expressed sympathy to the Patey family, obviously, and Darnell was taken off to prison. A year later, on appeal, Darnell's sentence was reduced to seven years. Grant DePaty's family turned the energy of their grief into positive action and worked for change, lobbying BC's provincial government to enact laws meant to protect vulnerable, lone, late-night workers from a fate like their sons. Mm -hmm. And Grant's law came into being. Grant's law consists of amendments to the Workers' Compensation Act, Occupational Health and Safety Regulation, Section 4.22.1 and 4.22.2. 4.22.1, requires employers train new and young employees in safety precautions. It was required that two employees be present between 11 p.m. and a 6 a.m. shift mm-hmm. or that a barrier between an employee and a customer be placed. An amendment was made in 2012 allowing employers, instead of having two employees working between 11 p.m. and 6 a.m., that time-locked safes and video surveillance be required. So, ease it just a little. Drivers now, according to 422.2, must pay at the pump to use the gas. Yep. To get gas before you pump your gas. Yep. All urban gas stations are required to have a prepayment system in place to prevent gas and dash crimes. We all have become used to that change. Mm -hmm. In 2017, MoveUp, a a union-based group, announced a grants law-related sit-in to address issues with grants law. Due to lobbying by big-money corporations, parts of the law were rarely enforced and eventually removed by Christy Clark's government.
1: Christy Clark... Oh, God.
0: Daniel Pratt was released from prison on Thursday, June 7, 2010. He did not return to his halfway house in Kamloops the next day. Oh, my God, really? The court issued a Canada-wide arrest warrant for Darnell.
1: (sighs) One goddamn day. A day. Son of a
0: bitch. From the Vancouver Province newspaper. It's a letdown, said DePatie's father, Doug. I'm disappointed in him right now, but I really do want him to do the best because it cost Grant his life to try and stop Darnell. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. What what insight Doug had. Pratt's conditions included an 8 p.m. nightly curfew, psychological counseling from a psychologist or elder, participation in a community-based substance abuse counseling and or a program to address mental health, substance abuse, violence, abstaining from alcohol and drugs, and not associating with anyone involved in criminal activity or substance use. He was also banned from having any contact with the DePaty family. Yeah. All that. Fair enough. Yeah. said he's hopeful that Pratt's statutory release will now be revoked and that he serves the remainder of his sentence. I'm disappointed in his parole officer in the Correctional Service of Canada, DePatey said. How corrected is he? He couldn't even last two days. He's got two years left of his sentence, so if he can't meet the conditions, he should be back in jail serving those two years. That's justice.
1: 100% agree.
0: Yeah, I agree with Doug DePatey as well. Completely. Police described Pratt as native, 5 feet 10 inches tall, 176 pounds, with brown eyes and a black buzz cut. He was last seen wearing a white t-shirt over a black t-shirt, blue jeans, and black runners.
1: Yeah, so frustrating, man. So frustrating. So he's in
0: the wind after a whole day of freedom.
1: Just, my God, not even a single day that is so indicative of his character. Mm -hmm. That is so indicative of how little he cares about uh, the human he killed. Not that's, even a so goddamn that there, day. That's his
0: remorse, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, he's really remorseful, yeah. Mike. Yeah. Yeah. He he fled to go pay homage in, in the woods of snow. Right.
0: He he went to go pray or something, I'm sure. Oh, f- but he didn't. He didn't do any of those things. Police arrested Darnell Pratt in Abbotsford two days later. They found him in a pub drinking beer and he had heroin in his pocket.
1: Holy shit.
0: I don't I I don't even know, Mike. I don't know. Right? I don't know. I don't know. In November of 2011, Pratt was given another statutory release. Again, he did not return to his halfway house and was rearrested and sent back to prison.
1: I did not see that coming. No. That's just out of the blue.
0: Darnell was released in 2012. Finally. (sighs) And he made it another few years, too. He was in trouble again in 2014. Who's to say what he did in the meantime? But he got yes. caught for this. On December twenty-first of two thousand fourteen, RCMP responded to a call in Surrey. A stolen car from Vancouver was found in a ditch at one seventy-six and sixteenth Ave. Pratt was picked up walking nearby. He lied about his identity and why he was there. And once they figured out who he was and what he had done, <sighs> over and over and over again, it was pretty easy to pin this on him and so darnell darcy pratt now 26 pleaded guilty this is 10 years later in 2015 provincial court in port coquitlam to theft under five thousand dollars and obstructing police officers he was credited with 11 days of time served and sentenced to a day in jail plus a year of probation what yeah pratt eventually landed back in jail thanks to more parole violations He died behind bars in New Westminster on February 13th, 2019. He was 30 years old.
1: I know this is going to sound terrible, but good.
0: From Maple Ridge News, quote, Grant's parents, Doug and Corinne DePaty, heard of Pratt's death and sought confirmation from BC Vital Statistics. They sent them his death certificate. Wow. So, I, it's proof. Yeah. And they even provided it to news organizations. So I've seen the scanned copy yeah. of Darnell Pratt's death certificate. My book is finished, Corrine said. Her grief over losing her son will continue, but feels now that she has closure and is relieved that Pratt will never hurt anyone else.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's why I say good. Yeah.
0: She said, I think I can comfortably move forward in my new normal.
1: Oh my God, that poor, poor woman.
0: Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> From Maple Ridge News in April 2019, just a couple of months later, Mm -hmm. a brass plaque memorial titled Grant's Law in honor of Grant Tapati will be installed near the gas station where the Maple Ridge man was killed more than a decade ago. The plaque reads, quote, In 2005, 24-year-old Grant Tepaty working alone at a gas station when he was killed following his employer's instructions to collect a license plate number during a gas and dash incident. His death shone a spotlight on the vulnerability of late-night workers working alone. In 2008, efforts by the DePatie family and the B.C. Federation of Labour resulted in the creation of Grant's Law, a B.C. occupational health and safety regulation that better protected late-night workers. It was the first of its kind in Canada. Grant DePatie's story continues to inspire young workers to take up the fight for better workplace safety. And it was provided by the B.C. Labour Heritage Centre, It says 2018 union made and B.C. fed. (sighs) So if you live in B.C., the next time you pay before you pump, remember Grant Napady and his folks.
1: Yeah. This one really got me pissed off.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, I know I shouldn't say good he died, but... (sighs) He just seemed like he couldn't control himself.
1: With that car found in the ditch off of 176, I'm going to imagine he had probably been drinking... And that car went off. I, I'm guessing. Who knows? But you just have that feeling that the exact same thing could happen again with him. Yeah. You, you know, just this time, maybe T-bones a car, Full kills, the, kills yeah. the family. And it's like, oh God, I don't wish death upon anybody. I really, really don't. Uh, but the, I, I'm but
0: I, somebody who doesn't seem to be rehabilitated yep. should not be out of jail. yes. Even though I know he's served his time, he's done yes. his time, how do we justify that as a society and just say, well, you know, he did his time, let's, yeah. let's let him out again when he's consistently done bad things?
1: Yeah, and I think maybe, maybe the sentencing and all of that is correct, but maybe where we're failing is in how do we prepare these individuals for when they come out? Mm. Are we just, is it just a matter of, okay, you do your time and you're out, or are we ensuring that while they're in prison, they're receiving proper psychological treatment, coping, you know, learning better coping skills. Is that happening? Because I mean, just throwing people in jail. Yeah. Letting them become better criminals in jail because of who you're associating to and then letting them out does nothing. Yeah. You know, so maybe the failure is on that end of it and how, how we're managing our, our prisoners.
0: Maybe. Maybe. So that's it for this show. This week's show. Can we bring my anger down now? Yeah. Let's, let's go do some voicemails. Holy. You can leave us one at one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six 327 5786 or one eight seven seven D darkptn And if your call stands out, you might hear it on the show. Mm-hmm. Who knows what we're going to hear this week? That looks like a lot. Uh there's a few. I went through uh called out some of the old ones. Mm. And we have we have ones that go all way back, way way back. Oh cool. Some that go back to the first uh month of this year. So January Holy before god. COVID. crap, Okay. So we have pre-COVID calls. Oh my
1: god. They're probably just so uh not they're not even aware how much they get to enjoy that uh freedom outdoors right just going about living your daily life little did they
0: know so let's play one from february yeah. 28th just before everything kind of kicked off let's do
1: that hey mike and scott my name is and i'd like to start off by saying that as someone from knoxville tennessee when i saw a dark poutine come up on my spotify recommended i thought that it was going to be a gritty punk band <laughs> Well, it turned out to be an awesome podcast, and I'd just like to thank you guys for all the amazing content that you put out. It's all so thoughtful, and you are all so respectful to the people that you're talking to and their families, and I really appreciate the way that you guys also bring in your personal struggles and how that affects you and how it affects what you do, and I
0: just really want to appreciate you guys completely. (laughs) I'm really nervous, and that's why I'm talking so fast, but... Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a good one. And also,
1: don't forget to shit in your (laughs) hat.
0: So there you go. So that was... February twenty eighth. Oh thank you. Twenty twenty. Thank you. Kevin. Before all the, the storm
1: really yeah, started. Man. It was
0: it was starting to kick off, right? Yeah, around but we were
1: still living recklessly right. carefree out and about. Yeah. Breathing in stores without masks and such. <laughs> All those
0: kind of things. Back in those days. Let's listen to one from uh oh, this one look looks like it was from May. <clears throat> so the eighth oh. of May. Oh.
2: Eighth of May. Hey Mike and Scott. This is Abby again from Texas. Um, after hearing y'all play my call i uh, I realized I let y'all down, and I wanted to call back and just uh make up for it and wanted to thank y'all uh for
0: all that you do and um I wanted to wait until after the events of nova scotia um
2: I know Mike, you have a really strong connection to that place and i i can understand having
0: your hometown um go through something like that and uh stay strong thank y'all for all you do and y'all stay safe and sane during this pandemic and go take a poop in your toop bye guys well, thanks, Abby. Uh, oh, now Abby. I don't remember her first call yeah. because that was a while ago. Yeah. But at the same time, it's interesting the the difference between the voices from February to May, because <laughs> Abby sounded like, "Yeah, I've had enough of this pandemic nonsense." Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was only you know three short months yeah. later. Yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty crazy. Oh man, I
1: don't, I don't. How could you have let us down?
0: Abby? She did not. Oh, I'm yeah. pretty certain she didn't let us down. Yeah. You never. Nobody who has ever called and if we've played your sh- your uh, if we've played your voicemail on the show, it, you haven't. You couldn't, let us down. Yeah,
1: exactly. No, definitely
0: not. All right. Let's see. Uh, oh, here's a short one from Wednesday. Sure. Perfect. Short. And yeah. Sweet. Let's short and sweet. Well, Let's hope. Hi, Mike and Scott. I was just listening to your latest episode, and you talked about one of your patients who is a nowhere that uh, refurbishes old gnomes. Actually, it's very funny because I do a very similar job. I go and track down people who are missing their garden gnomes. So I am, in fact, a misnomer. Love the show. Bye. She's a misnomer. (laughs) I get it. I get it. Oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, oh, that's terrible. I really appreciated that. One. I appreciate I it. Really? But it's still, it's a groaner. It's, it's <laughs> like when I groan, when I go, oh, God. Because we were trying to figure out, what are you saying? Mm-hmm. And then, oh, no. Yep. Mis- yeah. Misnomer. Misnomer. <sighs> oh, boy. Right? Um, let's try this one. This one looks like it's come <gasps> from away.
2: Hey, Mike and Scott. This is Jamie calling uh, all the way from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, you might notice that I don't have an Australian accent. That's because I actually am from Ladner, British Columbia, so pretty close by you guys. Uh, I just wanted to say I love the podcast. I've been listening for the last few months. I'm all caught up. Um, and it's really nice to hear some uh, Canadian voices when I'm feeling uh, particularly homesick. Melbourne's in stage four lockdown right now. We've been uh, in lockdown for quite some time, so it definitely helps to hear some Canadian voices and um, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, Go shitting your hat. Thanks. Bye.
0: Well, thanks, Jamie. Uh, It's funny somebody from Ladner calling us from Australia, Melbourne. Yeah, she sounds like a nice lady.
1: Yeah, what a what uh, a
0: nice lady. What what a shift, Ladner to Australia, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, like that's quite um, juxtaposition. I like Ladner. I got no problem with it. I have lots of friends. But it's no,
1: it's not Australia.
0: No, it is definitely not. I don't think there's any koalas in Ladner. I can't think of that. Yeah, I don't know, mate. <laughs> I don't know. Uh here we are with our terrible. Australian yeah, I think
1: uh, I think I've, I've seen a a pinch or two of quads the you
0: go. So that's it for our voicemails. Uh again, if you'd like to leave us one, you can do so at one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven DARK PTN. And uh I guess it is time for us. To move on to the Patreon portion oh, bum, bum. of the show, and we can find out who who does what this week because old Scott
1: knows everything.
0: He knows everything. He's got the whole thing locked down, as it were.
1: That's what I like to say. That, that's what people often will say about me. Is Scott really got
0: it locked? He's down. really, yeah. That's really what got I got always think about. Down. Whenever I think of Scott, yeah, I think how, how well locked down everything how well, is. Well locked down. Yeah. Not a sentence. He can't finish a sentence to save his life. Semantics. However. When has that ever been important? Since we started doing a podcast. Look,
1: I'm not the one writing books and all, Mike. I, can, I don't have to finish my sentences.
0: I do it enough for you anyway. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm a terrible person.
1: Well. <laughs> it's true. No, it is not true.
0: Okay. So, all right. First up. We have somebody who we're not quite sure where they're from, but her name is Rebecca Kirby. Yeah, and where's Rebecca from?
1: Oh, good old Rebecca Kirby is from. I uh, just let the brand,
0: oh, oh, Bogota, Bogota Columbia. in Colombia. Oh, yeah. wow.
1: Yeah. Have you have you ever heard of it?
0: I have. Oh, okay. Remember? Um. Oh gosh, I can't remember his name now. He used to work at that telecom that we oh, worked okay. at. Yeah, He's yeah. from there. There's there was a few he's there, from Bogota. I don't know Colombia. I don't know anybody from
1: Bogota. Uh, Aside from
0: Rebecca, Rebecca. Yes. So Rebecca, what does Rebecca do in Bogota, Colombia? Well, it's a bit. um, Is she a drug dealer? No, No. Well,
1: I mean, maybe maybe what I know about her is just a cover. Could be. What I know is that she plays in a mariachi band.
0: Oh. Yeah. I didn't know there were mariachi bands in Colombia. I thought they were only in why Mexico. Not? Why not?
1: Why can't why can't they branch out? Sure. Find new territory.
0: Why not? Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. Fair well, enough. Uh, you know.
0: It, it just shows to my lack of, of, uh, of, of cultural knowledge, yeah,
1: specifically when it comes to mariachi bands,
0: I could be completely wrong, yeah, well, yeah. you are because I'm telling okay. you yeah, and so what does she play in the mariachi band?
1: uh, it's the gigantic guitar or oh, she plays
0: the big <laughs> one <laughs> yeah, it's a gigantic
1: guitar, yeah um, but like I said, maybe that's where she puts the drugs
0: now that I think about it. Well, there you go. so yeah. thanks, Rebecca. <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> A little bit of cocaine yeah. humor there. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, we have from Nelson, oh. British Columbia, Philip Harrison. Yeah. And what does Philip do in Nelson? Right now, Philip is leading a campaign to... Mm-hmm. Um, so you know in Hollywood,
1: how they've got the big Hollywood sign. Yes, yes. Philip is wanting that in Nelson. Like a big Nelson sign. Yeah. yeah. So he's, he's, right now, that's his his job. He's just dedicated to... I'm pretty sure there is a big sign that says Nelson on the highway. But is it on the mountain?
0: I don't think so. Yeah,
1: exactly. You don't. And is it gigantic? No, it will be. Oh, there you go. If Philip gets his way. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's what Philip is about right now.
0: Well, hopefully he
2: gets his way. I think so too.
0: (laughs)
1: I think think it's just what Nelson needs to
0: revitalize that city. There you go. And next from... Well, look at this. From Ottawa, Ontario, oh. our nation's capital, mm-hmm. Heather Lawson.
2: Oh, Heather. Thank you,
0: Heather. Heather. What does old. Heather do?
1: Heather Lawson in the nation's capital, uh, she helped build the Capitol building, the parliament. That would make her very old. Well, who's well, to say she, she,
0: yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Maybe she just does maintenance on it now, Mike. Maybe that's what... She, constru- she constructed a new wing. On parliament, you're
0: so you're backtracking.
2: On.
1: No, I'm just saying, like, for all you know,
2: right? She's still, but you, but still you,
1: what you said she helped build the parliament. Yeah, she's still, she's the, still helping build the parliament. Ah,
0: yeah, that it was under construction when I was there. Well, there you go. So maybe Heather was doing
2: something,
1: probably. There. I believe I remember her talking to me about around that time about helping build things at the parliament. So, probably, probably, well, I mean, I mean, yeah, fair enough. I mean,
2: probably.
0: Uh, Next up, we have Darren Glover, and he is from here in British Columbia, a little place called Montrose.
1: I don't know if I've heard of Montrose. I
0: have not either, to Mm. tell you the truth, Mm. but there you go. Now we have, uh, what does Darren do in Montrose, British Columbia? What do you think he does?
1: Well, I know what what Darren does there, because there's not a lot to do in Montrose. Okay. Yeah. He's a a logger. That's probably true. (laughs) That's (laughs) true? You're probably banging yeah, on the money yeah, with it's that first one. first time ever. Look uh, at that. <laughs> I think I think he's a logger. Yeah, he. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know exactly what part of the logging industry. Whether he's like got got a saw chopping mm-hmm. trees, or maybe he might just be one of the drive like truck drivers who has all the, the trees on it. Right. So I don't know, or maybe in a mill. I don't know, but I just know he's in the industry. He could be a mill. Could be a mill. Yeah. 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 Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers, Fingers crossed. We have an actual
0: winner here all right view all activity well that helps let's view the activity let's move on to paypal it is time for the old paypal sweet we have on september 13th rachel Detta, oh, and i don't know where rachel's from Zagreb in croatia oh boy yeah. does she know dino our friend dino <laughs> let's hope not anyway mike mike let me tell you something mike so um <laughs> scott knows exactly who i'm talking oh, about very much. but he uh, yeah, worked with carol too yeah yeah not anymore no interesting um so what does she do in zagreb uh, uh she uh is she a soldier
1: no 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 okay. she's one, one of only three people who aren't okay yeah wow she's i what do they call it a uh, uh, mason right like she she uh you know she's a mason mar- marble marble t- like a uh, tabletops countertops okay yeah she carol's cousin matt does that yeah exactly they know probably they probably talk Yeah. Uh, she'll yeah like she makes the uh, uh, travertine is a big thing but that goes on the floor but um yeah makes uh, granite and different other types of stone uh countertops yeah.
0: well there you go yeah well thanks rachel
1: yeah thank you imagine counters without her so she's a stonemason. She's a stonemason. Yeah, without her, like, you just have, like, you couldn't, nothing to put your drinks on and stuff. You just fall through and into the cupboard.
0: Next we have Melanie Godette. Hi, Mike and Scott. Thank you for saying my voicemail was sweet. Yes, we remember you very well. I recommend your podcast to all my family and friends. Just for the record, my favorite Tim's order is London Fog with Maple Dip. Oh, my God.
1: That's a that's a fine
0: order. That is a that's very, a fine, very order. fine order from yeah. a very fine person. Yeah, that's... What does yeah. Melanie do for herself?
1: Uh, for herself? Like a living. Oh, so what she does for a living is for everybody, Mike. Well, sure. Yeah, she sells...
0: Yeah, I, I, I missaid that.
1: She sells flowers on the street. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah, well, I mean, it's business, yeah.
0: Where did she get the flowers? Them out of people's, she charge. doesn't like to talk about oh, that. I she don't just know. runs around and picks them out of other don't,
1: people's. No, 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 I don't want to let well, Yeah. Oh, or she just, could get in let's just
0: own. say she acquires them. Well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> thanks again, Melanie.
1: Well, get Melanie, thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, next up we have Alia Renee Capodice. Oh, and she is from she, it says, Hey, boys, it's Alia, the professional card shuffler oh. from Doylestown, <laughs> Pennsylvania. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Lol. In between all this shuffling, I thought I would pop over and send you my tips from my last job. Oh. Thank you both for the years of laughter. It's years now. This is Holy crazy. Shit, eh? And amazing storytelling at this point. And for your compassion and kindness for the victims of these awful and tragic mm. stories. I am so happy to finally be able to support you through Patreon. Stay safe and go shit in your hats. Love you both. Oh, Renee. Thank you. Alia Renee. Wow. Yeah. That, that is very, very nice it's
1: a it, it's a, when you break it down like that where somebody's actually like they're taking tip money like work like this is they worked for this mm-hmm. and they're giving it to us. That's pretty humbling.
0: there you go. And next up from Spruce Grove Alberta, mm-hmm. we have Samantha Dimmock. Mm-hmm. And what does Samantha do in Spruce Grove?
1: Oh Samantha is a uh,
0: well, she as she likes
1: to call it she gives grass haircuts but oh, so she's a lawnmower. i've done well, that that yeah, was my it's very first job more landscaping but mm. sure that is part of it is mm-hmm. yeah she likes to say I'm, yeah, I'm here to give your lawn a haircut the and best, everybody
0: laughs and it's just it's a great time the best place i landscaped and most lawns mm. graveyard oh because you Peaceful. know what you know why mm. if you cut it wrong if you missed a spot the tenants didn't care. <laughs> oh, Mike! Little grave humor there. Oh, sure. oh
2: boy, oh, yeah. Oh, my. Well, thank Mi- you, Samantha. Uh,
0: get back to mowing those lawns. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I think it might be snowing in Alberta. You Pro- know. It probably. Yeah. And next, we have Irene Briand. Thank you. Send us a little little love. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Irene. And then we got our uh, payment for our swag. So. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Let's give them a shout. Yeah, give uh, give Threadless a shout out. Um, yeah. <sighs> so thanks to all our patrons and Donut Money donors past and present for your help to keep us doing what we do. If you want to show your support of Dark Poutine, you can subscribe at patreon.com slash Poutine for a one-time donation. You can send us Donut Money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already subscribe to the show, you can find us on any podcatcher. Check out our website, darkpoutine.com, for show notes or other cool stuff. Uh, please take the time to give Dark Poutine a like or follow on Facebook and Instagram. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Until we return, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.